You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So, you ever made a decision, made a choice that had unintended consequences? Of course you have. I have, I'm sure you have. And so did this person. Take a look at that picture. Now, for the benefit of our friends who may be listening to this via the internet, podcast, whatever, this is a picture of a tractor trailer with a huge track hoe on it, and the track hoe is embedded in the middle of this overpass. Now, what you have to appreciate about this is that this overpass is made of several feet of reinforced concrete. There's rebar that runs through the middle of this. How much force do you think it took for this to happen? Which, the next question is then, how did this happen? And the answer? The driver was texting on his cell phone. And this was the consequence of that. And you can see from the timestamp on this picture, this happened a long time ago, but unbelievable. It says 06, by the way, for those of you who can't read this. There's a choice with some unintended consequences. And as we're journeying through Genesis here, as, the, as I believe it was Moses who captured this for us, as the writer is capturing for us these stories, these historical stories that happened in Genesis, we constantly are told a story and then it gets picked up later. And it's masterful storytelling and we're rejoining a story that was introduced to us in part in Genesis 16. If you'll remember for me, with me rather, God has promised Abram and Sarah that he is going to bless them with a child of their own despite their advanced age. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting And it's very understandable and relatable for us to appreciate that they got tired of waiting. But because they got tired of waiting, at best they did something questionable, at worst they did something sinful, and frankly, I think it's the latter. I think this was disobedient for them to do. It was culturally appropriate, but I don't think it was biblically appropriate and wasn't trusting what God had promised. Sarah comes up with the idea that she is going to have her maidservant, Hagar, sleep with Abraham, and hopefully she gets pregnant, and that way she can have kind of a surrogate son, and that's what happens. Abraham, they, they, they sleep together, and Hagar gets pregnant, and even though this was Sarah's idea, she makes it really clear that this is not her son. And from that point forward, there is this strife, there is this open conflict, there is this enmity, this vitriol between Sarah and Hagar. And yet God, despite the brokenness, I think, of these choices, chooses to to move anyway, chooses to work through these circumstances to still accomplish his purposes. But now 14 years has elapsed since that happened. 14 years of strife and dysfunction and hostility and conflict in this family, and really now it's gonna come to a head. And Abraham is going to be faced with a crisis of what is he going to do? And in fact, as we look at the overall arc of Genesis, we see time after time, Abraham's faith is being tested. It will be tested, it will be tested, it will be tested, and it's going to be tested once again. 
And the reality is, for those of us who choose to follow Jesus, who know him and love him, our faith is going to be tested at times as well. And I think there's some things that we can learn from this and glean from this that will prepare us for when our faith is going to be tested. And ultimately, will help us experience even more powerfully the presence and the promises of God in our lives. So, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to do two-thirds of the chapter, and we're going to walk through this story that really picks up where Genesis 16 left off. So, here we go. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant. And bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name, he laughs, Isaac, to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And on that day, Isaac was weaned. Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to what Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So as we do, let's begin to work our way back through this story. So... God delivers, or I guess more accurately, Sarah delivers, right? The boy, the son that has been promised to them for 25 years, now he's here. And what Abraham does here is righteous, it's obedient, because God told him in Genesis 17, you were to circumcise all the males who are now born to the community and When your son is born, this is the name you are to give him, Isaac. And he does exactly that. He circumcised him and he named him exactly as God told him to do. This is a great example of obedience. And then they hold a feast as they rightfully should. 
There is a lot to celebrate here. They throw this, this huge party, which is outstanding. You know, I can remember you know, overtones of this when, um, when our daughter was born. You know, we celebrated our oldest. And then when our son was going to be born, we um, sent out these little baby um, announcements. And our oldest daughter, Kiana, we actually made it from her. So the it reflected her excitement because she was so excited to become a big sister and she sent out, we sent out this little card from her basically to family and friends saying, I've been promoted to big sister. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens with Ishmael. He gets promoted to big brother. So how does that look? How does that go over? He's not real excited about that evidently. In fact, there's a play upon words here. Isaac's name, Isaac's name means he laughs or laughter. And in the original language, there's a play on that word, the word for Isaac and laughter and the word for mocking. I mean, did you catch what Sarah said here in her joy? That everyone who hears about this would laugh with her, would celebrate, would enjoy it, would savor it the way she is? Well, what's going on here is Ishmael isn't laughing with Sarah. He's laughing at her. Or he's laughing at Isaac. We're not sure what he was doing, but this is what we do know, that he's ridiculing what's happening here. That's what mocking means. Anybody like to be mocked? You like it when someone ridicules you? You know, you're walking along, you fall down, and people laugh at you. I mean, how, how does that feel? It's horrible. Makes you angry. Now, imagine how Mama Bear Sarah feels when her son is being ridiculed, or she is being ridiculed, this son that they've waited all these, these years for. And you can feel the heat in what she says here. She doesn't even use... Ishmael or Hagar's name. And I think it's a reflection of, of anger. She won't even acknowledge them by name. And at first pass, you can look at this and say, well, of course, mama's not happy. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But there's a whole lot more going on here. There's history like we talked about. There has been open conflict and strife and tension and enmity between Hagar and Sarah for 14 years, and now it's right out in the open. And what she says here is absolutely right. God in Genesis 17 said that Isaac, not Ishmael, was the child of the promise, that all the promises made to Abraham would come through Isaac. What she's saying here is actually absolutely right. But it says that this distressed Abraham greatly, and of course it would. She's saying, get rid of this, this slave woman who she won't even name by name and get rid of her son who she won't name by name. And again, as from what I can gather, culturally, this was unthinkable that, that you would throw your son out, even a quote-unquote surrogate son like this in Ishmael. You just, you would not do that. But there's more obviously going on here than even that. This isn't just cultural. This is relational. It's Abraham's son. He loves his son. He's loyal to his son. We've already seen in, in Genesis 17 that he was advocating for Ishmael. He said, if only Ishmael could live under your promise. And remember what God said? I am gonna bless Ishmael. He is gonna become a great nation, but he is not the child of the promise. 
And of course this makes no sense to Abraham. Send away Ishmael and Hagar? Really? I have no idea what this feels like, but I do remember this. A handful of years ago, Jamie and I took our son, Kylan, off to college, to Montana. And many of you know that's where he currently goes to school. And I'll never forget the day that we took him, the end of that trip, rather, the day when we left him. And I remember thinking as we were driving away, these conflicting emotions. I mean, on one side was, woohoo! Almost an empty nest with my girl. You know, what have we been doing? We've been trying to raise kids to become young adults, and this is a, a huge defining moment. He's now on his own, and there was an equally strong part of me that was going, what have I done? I have abandoned my son. What kind of dad am I? And I have no idea what this felt like, but I know what that felt like. And clearly what Abraham was feeling was far worse than what I was going through, but I, I get it to some degree. And yet God steps in and says, Sarah's right. Listen, listen to your wife. Because there's more than just the present going on here. There's a bigger picture that's going on here. And it says, God says, through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. And reckoned isn't one of those words that we hear or use very often. I don't know what you think when you hear the word reckon, but I think of someone like our Billy Cash living in Texas saying, well, I reckon I'm gonna go check the fence and check on the cows. And you can tell him I said that, by the way, even though he probably never said that in his life. But I think of that, or I think of a Western movie where, well, he's looking for a reckoning. So what is this? What does this word mean? I actually had to look it up because I couldn't have told you off the top of my head. But it's got these kind of flavors to it. It's this idea of calling to account, paying a debt, or fulfilling a promise. And now we're getting closer to what this means here. That Isaac is going to be the one that God will fulfill his promises to Abraham through. And so God is endorsing that Ishmael has to leave, and so does Hagar. That this really does need to happen. And I've always wrestled with this, to be quite honest with you. That Abraham gives them some food and a skin of water. In terms of rations, that's not very much. That's not very much at all. And for the longest time, actually, right up until this week as I studied this some more, it felt like Abraham do you really love your son? So you're being forced to send him away and this is what you send him away with? Again, this is like us taking our, our son to college. Man, I wanted to give him the very best start possible. I wanted to do everything possible for him to be okay. And this is like dropping your kid off at college with no food, no money, no, you know, completely on his own. It's like, who would do that? But again, there's a bigger picture here and that's this, what Abraham is doing, I think, is profoundly obedient and righteous because what did God say to him? I am going to take care of him. God said it in Genesis 17. In fact, over and over again, God has said, big picture promise to be sure, but has said, I got him. I have his future. I am going to take care of him. And this is Abraham trusting that. 
This is profoundly obedient in my estimation. He didn't send him away with a bunch of provisions because he really does trust and believe that God is going to take care of Ishmael. He clearly sent what he could or what he thought was appropriate, but I think this is a picture of obedience. And again, there's so many ironies playing out in this passage. In Genesis 16, Hagar leaves because she wants to. In Genesis 21, she leaves because she has to. She doesn't have a choice here. Earlier, she did. And so it says that they leave. And it describes Ishmael as a boy. He's 14 years old. And I, I just, again, can't fathom any of this. But you and I would, would sob too if we thought that our son was going to lose his life because of what had happened here And yet this is so amazing to me because what is Ishmael's name again? He hears. And when did he get this name? Well, in Genesis 16, when Hagar ran away on her own accord, when she chose to run away, God came to her then and said, I hear, I hear you. I hear your misery. I hear your distress. And I think with what we know and us having the bigger picture and being able to see some dots being connected. I think in Genesis 16, when God named Ishmael Ishmael, he hears, it was for this moment. God hears him when he absolutely needs him to hear him the most. Ishmael's very life now is on the line and God hears him. It's an incredibly beautiful picture of the intimacy of God. And look at the promise here. I'm gonna lift the boy up and take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation, which, by the way, is partial fulfillment of the promises that have been given to Abraham. Remember, he was told that you will bless many nations, and we'll come back to that, but also that you will be the father of many nations, and this is how that's gonna play out. Ishmael's gonna become the Arab people that we know of today. A great number of nations. It's just so cool. And this one fascinates me, and I think it really is what it says it is. I think that Hagar was so overwhelmed by sorrow, it says she was sobbing, and when you sob, your eyes get puffy and you, know, you can't see real well. I think she literally couldn't see a well of water that was right there, and God enables her to see it, and, and, and then she goes to it, and it saves her and Ishmael's life. God truly is with them. So much here for us, but let's begin to walk our way through it. So there's a word that appears a couple times here in Genesis that we've seen before, that we keep seeing because God is purposefully trying to help us get something. Do you see the word that repeats itself here? I didn't highlight it for you because we're playing guess the word together. Promise. Promise. We've talked about this before, but we have to be reminded of this. I have to be reminded of this over and over again. God keeps his promises, and that is the point of the opening verses of this chapter, at the very time God said this would happen, it actually does happen. But I hadn't appreciated this part before. Who does God keep his promises to in this story? Everybody, not just Abraham. He keeps his promises to Sarah. He keeps his promise to Hagar. He keeps his promises to Ishmael, he keeps his promises to everyone. 
and I want us to enter this story one more time and appreciate this. Abraham and Sarah have waited for 24 years for God to fulfill this promise. Do you remember in Genesis 18, Sarah had basically given up, and who can blame her? It had been years and years and years. And when she laughed, it was the laughter of bitterness. It was really a laughter of, of disbelief, like, well, that, yeah, like that's ever gonna happen. And remember, God said, is anything too wonderful for me to do? Another way of saying it, is there anything too impossible for me to do? And now we see her laughing out of, out of joy because God kept his promise, just like he said he would. So what promises are you waiting on God for? What does he promise us? Never will I leave you or forsake you. I have overcome the world. I'm coming back. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And on and on and on it goes. But the reality is if you and I want to experience the promises of God, we have to test the promises of God by trusting them. Not testing them in the sense of, God, prove yourself, but testing them in terms of, okay, God, I'm gonna take you at your word. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when I don't feel like it. I want to experience your promises, therefore I'm gonna trust them. Because God always delivers on his promises. But here's another reality for us. Because God always keeps his word, always follows through on his promises, it gives us hope for the other things too. but we have to be real careful here because this is where the train can go off the rails a little bit because there are times we will put God on the hook for things that we think are promises that are not promises and this happens often. People will say, oh, God promised this to me. No, he actually didn't. You want that and that's a legitimate desire. You even maybe a legitimate need but he didn't promise that to you. But how often do we put God on the hook for things that he never promises he will do? But the other side of that is Okay, with those things that are not promised to us, we still have incredible grounds for hope. I mean, think about this with me. What is that impossible thing or those impossible things in your life right now? Those things that you absolutely desperately need God to do something about if something's gonna change or something's gonna happen. Who is that person in your family you've been praying for for years and years and years to come to know the Lord and they still don't? Who is that child? You pick the age. Young child, high school or middle school, young adult, adult, really old like me now, however you want to put that. Well, just teasing. But when's that child going to come back to the Lord? That child who has either wandered away or who has said, I don't want anything to do with you. When's that gonna happen? That conflict that you have in that relationship that's left a scar, and sometimes that scar feels like a scab. It just gets torn off again and torn off again. What about that? Or what about the financial struggles that you've had? 
or having or what about the health thing that you're up against? I, we could go on and on. You fill in the blank, but what is that thing where you're tempted just to give up because it's impossible? And so far, God hasn't answered it. You see, it tells us in this passage, God was gracious to Sarah, and he wants to be gracious to you. Does it mean we always get what we want, when we want, how we want it, on the timetable we want it? No, absolutely not. But it is grounds for hope. The Lord, the Lord, Exodus 34 tells us, the compassionate, gracious God. This is a God who wants to be gracious to us, who wants to bless us. And in the process of that, he wants to strengthen our faith but he will do it in ways that we don't always expect because he tests our faith to strengthen our faith. I strongly believe there is a preparation that's been going on for Abraham and it's gonna reach its culmination point on Easter Sunday when we get to Genesis 22. He is being tested and prepared and strengthened for the ultimate test that is going to come his way, but just think with me about the tests that he've already, already had to his faith, and this is just a representation, this isn't all of them. Abraham, in Genesis 12, yeah, leave your homeland, everything that's comfortable for you, everything that's familiar to you, and go. Where am I going? We'll talk about it later, just go. Okay. Abraham, I want you to trust me for a kid. I know you're way past the age of bearing children. I know Sarah's way past the age of being able to bear children, but this kid's gonna come to you, and I'm gonna make him into a great nation, and all peoples will eventually be blessed through you, through him, and so when is this gonna happen? How long is this gonna take? What were those years like for Abraham and Sarah? Or how about this one? I want you to circumcise all the men in your community. Okay. And by the way, in this passage, I want you to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Your son, who you love, who you rightfully are loyal to, who you care about, yeah, he needs to leave. And we don't know, but you're probably never gonna see him again. Test after test after test to Abraham's faith. And to his credit, and this is why scripture declares him to be righteous. He's not perfect, but he consistently is this picture of obedience, trust, and faith in his God. You see, the reality is, and we don't have time to look at all the verses, but over and over again, Scripture declares to us that God will test your faith and mine. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And he's not doing that because he's capricious or because he's got it out for us, although maybe sometimes it feels like that or he wants to see us fail. In fact, exactly the opposite. When God tests us, he always wants you to pass the test. Always. He does not want you to fail the test. He wants you to pass the test because he's trying to reveal your faith and mine. He's trying to build and strengthen your faith and mine. He's trying to prepare your faith and mine for what eventually will come our way. To me, the closest analogy to this is thinking through teaching our kids how to drive. I remember with each of our kids in teaching them how to drive, you know, I did not want them to fail the test. Exactly the opposite. I wanted to do everything possible so that they would be able to safely drive. And it was, it was a blessed season when, during the taxi cab years, they began to learn how to drive on their own. It was wonderful. But he is a father who wants us to pass the test. 
but it doesn't feel like that at times, especially when it's a hard test. And this is a profoundly hard test for Abraham. It says he was distressed, and I would be, and you probably would have been too, because this makes no sense to him. We have a bigger picture than he had in that moment. And this would be distressing to anybody, but this God expects us to trust and obey him even when it doesn't make sense. And Gary surfaced this for us some weeks ago, but this is a reality that we see here once again. God will ask you to trust him and obey him at times when it makes absolutely no sense to do so. Once again, not a question of if, but a question of when. This will become true for you and for me. But there's something so profoundly important in this passage. When Abraham sent Ishmael away, who was with him? Well, his mom was, Hagar. Who else? God. One of the most powerful, poignant, significant, life-changing realities in this passage is verse 20 where it says, and God was with him. That is a statement of intimacy. That is a statement of power. That is a statement of presence. That is a game changer right there. God had Ishmael's future. And God's got yours and God's got mine. If you are a child of God, if you know him and love him, you can trust him with your future even when it makes no sense to do so because God never abandons his kids and that one you can take to the bank, ever. He never abandons his children, which brings us really to the next reasonable question. That is so, how do you know if you're one of his kids? Because the heart of God is that he wants us to be children of the promise. This is not just a story, this is our story. And this story gets amplified for us in the New Testament. We're gonna jump to a New Testament letter called Galatians where this gets spelled out for us very clearly. Let me read this to you. Understand then that those who have faith are what? Children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify, declare not guilty, and declare righteous the Gentiles, non-Jews, by what? By faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Ooh, we've seen this how many times in Genesis? All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on what? Faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How do you know that you are children of the promise? Well, because you're an ethnic Jew. Uh, no, and that was the context of what the Apostle Paul was writing here in Galatians. He was speaking to a group of folks who were ethnic Jews who were direct descendants of Abraham and saying, yeah, that's not what makes you a child of God. That doesn't make you a child of the promise. Well, maybe religion does. If I do this, if I don't do that, if I live by this creed or that code or this morality, that makes me a child of God. Uh, no, and to translate that for our culture and what happens in our culture today, well, as long as I'm a good person, that's what makes me okay with God. That's what makes me a child of God because God clearly grades on a curve and I'm doing better for you, so I'm gonna squeak than you. I'll squeak in, but you won't. Uh, no, that's not what makes you a child of God. What did this passage say makes you a child of God? Faith, trusting and entrusting yourself to God through Jesus Christ. Because Galatians 4 
which we don't have time to look at, which follows this chapter, will begin to paint an even bigger picture and say, you know what? Ishmael and Isaac represent two very different lives and two very different realities. The son of the slave woman, Ishmael, represents the slavery that sin will have over everyone apart from God. And the child of the promise, Isaac, represents the freedom that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. Either you are a slave to sin or you have found freedom through Jesus Christ. He is the only path to true freedom. You are either a slave to sin and it owns you or you've received Jesus Christ in your life and you can disown your sin by actually owning it, by calling it what it is and then appropriating drawing upon the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to live the very life that you're actually hardwired to live because you're made in the image of God to be the person he has created you to be. And that isn't something that we just say to make ourselves feel better and to pat ourselves on the back. That really is true. If you know Jesus, you are a child of God, you are a child of the promise, and you do not have to be a slave to sin. You are free. Someone I know put it this way. You don't know me, but like you, there are patterns of brokenness, selfish decisions, and frankly, sinful choices that I still struggle with in my life. But the foundation and purpose of my life changed many years ago when I chose to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, as discouraging and difficult as it can be at times, and as much as I still struggle with certain sin areas in my life, In the middle of it, I know that I have found true freedom. I can make choices and decisions that are trusting and obedient to my God. And you can too. Some things he has completely removed from my life, but some things I have more growth I need to do, and in some things I will probably battle those sin areas for the rest of my life. But this is what I do know. He is the God who can be trusted, even when it's difficult to do so. He is the God who never leaves us, even though sometimes it sure feels like he does. And he is the God who always does what he promises, even when we have to wait or even when it doesn't turn out the way we want to. He is the God who has set me free, and he can set you free too. So as our worship team comes, we are going to sing about this very reality that we have been set free. Can you sing this? Can you say this and mean it and experience it? Because the only way you can is if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is what makes you a child of the promise. He is the only source of freedom. You will not find it in religion, in trying to be a good person, in morality of do and don't. No, it only comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So I invite you, as we pray and prepare our hearts to sing this song and celebrate what it means for our lives, if you haven't made this choice, I pray that you would. What are you waiting for? This is the only path to true freedom and joy and peace in your life is Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate that together. Lord, I pray for anyone who will be listening to this who does not know you or isn't sure if they do, that they would make that certain 
by receiving you into their lives, by saying, Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And God, for those of us who do know you, would you help us to remember and to believe that we have been set free from our brokenness and we have been freed to trust and obey you and to follow you and to experience you because you've got us. You have our future. You have our life. We are never alone. You are always with us and you are the unending source of our hope because you are the God who always does what you say you will do. You keep your promises and you keep your word. And so we celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to remind you, Faithful Friends is just out the door and down the hallway there. We have our information FAQ sheet on our service time changes. Please be sure and pick that up so you can have as good information as possible about that. And of course, we have our prayer teams off to the side, and they would love to pray with you about anything that we can do so this morning. And I don't know who it is, but someone here or someone who will be podcasting and listening to this, um, the Spirit woke me up this morning, and he seemed to say, you need to pray for this person because they've given up hope or because they don't really believe they can ever be free from this in their, in their life. And I'm always amped and excited on a Sunday morning, but I don't wake up very often. I've told you I have the gift of sleep, and I usually sleep till I hear the alarm. But sometimes, like you, the Spirit will seem to wake me up and tell me, you need to pray for this, and you need to pray for this person. I don't know your name. doesn't matter. But this is what I do know. This is the God of hope. This is the God of the impossible. This is the God of freedom. So respond to him this morning wherever you're listening to this, respond to him. For those of you who are here in the auditorium, I can't think of a better morning to go pray with one of our prayer team. But don't leave here without doing business with this God. And for those listening to this online or what have you, do business with this God, the God of hope. Let me pray his blessing over you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person here. I believe that you really are the God of the details and I don't think it's coincidence that any of us are here this morning seeking you, worshiping you, and being together. Lord, we pray that we would anchor ourselves once again to the God who keeps his promises. Lord, that we would not give up hope, that we would choose to live out of your Holy Spirit and the choices that he empowers us to make rather than our brokenness, our sinfulness, or our past. God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we look forward to your great promise that you will come back someday. But until you do, we will live in this broken world as a light for you. And I pray that you give us that opportunity this week. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Go and live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.